Let's go right into our lesson for tonight. A call to action. Uh, part four, how to clear the streets. And the specific topic tonight is this. Fixes at the church. Fixes at the church. I want to reference um, three passages of scripture. Mark chapter 9, verse 17 and 18. Matthew 11, uh, verse uh, 16. And Acts chapter 2, verse 46 and 47. Uh, Mark chapter 9. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit and has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. Matthew chapter 11 so what can I compare this generation? They're like children sitting in the marketplace and calling out to others. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. But John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say here is a glutton and a drunkard a friend of tax collectors and sinners, but wisdom is proved right by her actions. And in Acts chapter 2, verse 46 and 47, every day they continued to meet together in the temple court. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the blend, the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their numbers daily those who were being saved. Hallelujah. Now, this is the uh, final four lessons under that caption, How to Clear the Streets. I've attempted to um, offer a Bible-based strategy, a scriptural approach to curbing the ways of violence being perpetrated by our kids. The goal, to regain them, to return them to their Christian values, and to rejoin them or reconnect them to the Christian church. One thing you always have to believe as a person of faith, is that this, regardless of how dire and dark and dangerous the situation, all hope is not lost. The spirit of Christ is still saving parents, saving kids, still saving whole households. Remember Acts chapter 16? 
Paul and Silas were in jail, and a jailer met Jesus in the jail. When Paul told him about Jesus and how to be saved, that jailer went home, and the story says the whole household got saved. So don't you tell me that the Lord is not yet saving. The next time someone tells you what's impossible, let your answer be, he's the same Jesus of Acts 16. Hallelujah. So remember how to clear the streets starts at home. The foundation is family. These kids did not birth themselves. They're, they are not living under Wacker Drive. They are not among the unhoused. You know, that's the new term instead of homeless. It's unhoused. So they're not unhoused. Uh, they're under some adult's roof. And so it starts at home. And then I shared a word um, last week about the fear of God, that uh, restraining and respectful reverence that operates on the inside. It recognizes the greatness and the awe of our God. And when one complies, one gets blessed. And when one disobeys, one comes under condemning curses. And so we've got to tell our children about God and let the Holy Spirit through their knowledge enhance and birth of fear, of reverence, of restraining respect for him. And so tonight, I conclude my little talks on this topic, fixes at the church. You know, most time I do try to flow with alliteration, you know, sounds that are alike, uh, foundation, family, fear of God, and now fixes at the church. And what I want to do tonight is I want to aim to answer this question. Is there a role or a part for the church to play in uh, clearing the streets? If so, then what what does that role or what does that part look like? And I'm pleased to answer that the word of God offers very clear teaching on the strategy and approaches from the church house. Uh, not, not from the house where our children live, but from the church house. Uh, what we as the gathered community of faith can do. I want to always encourage you, never bash the church. Never bash your church. Uh, because when you bash your church, you're, you're beating up on yourself. And when you bash the church, uh, you're, um, what you're um, committing an assault on the Lord's bride, and you don't ever want to be accused of beating up another man's wife. Oh God, that's sure death. The church is the Lord's bride, so you never 
want to beat up on 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 yourself. You're a part of the church. Uh, what we want to do is look at ourselves in the mirror. And when we look at ourselves in the mirror of the word of God, James chapter 1, verse 23 through 25, uh, we, we see ourselves. And if we don't recognize ourselves according to the word of God, then what do you do when you stand in front of a mirror? If you're all jacked up and messed up, you know, your lipstick on your eyebrow and your mascara on your lip, you stand there long enough to make some adjustments. And that's what the word of God is. It is a mirror. James says, 1 verse 23, anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a person who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. I mean, while you're in the mirror, match the time uh, to be your best self. Hallelujah. Having said that, the Holy Ghost, um, brought three scriptures to my mind. And I'll just mention them and offer some teaching as it relates to the church fixes. The first scripture was read, Mark 9. You know, it talks about the community's expectation of the church. They brought the boy who was cutting up to the disciples. The disciples could not stop the boy from cutting up. So they took the boy to Jesus, and of course, Jesus handled the situation. That's that's an overview of that text. And the point is, there was the expectation, hear me good, that the ones who represented Jesus should have been able to make a positive impact on the boy's behavior. You see my point? There is this expectation of the church. Outsiders, community, even members of the church have an expectation of the church. What are we doing? Why can't you do something? Those are valid expectations. Now, we're not off the hook. It's our problem, too. Not just the schools, not the mayor's office, not the laws of the land. Can we just confess there is more we can do than we are currently doing. So it goes likewise with our individual lives. When you talk a church, you're talking about when we're corporate, when we're together. But it also applies when we're apart after the benediction is over, when we are at home, at work, at play. 
you know, never think there's nothing we can do. Never think there's something else we cannot do. We can fix some of this from the inside. They brought the boy to the disciples because they were connected to Jesus. And they said, you fellas run with Jesus. Y'all represent him. And why can't you do something? Please, please hear me good, my brothers and sisters. We can do something. Hallelujah. Might I be saying either we're a part of the solution or we're a part of the problem because there's an expectation. Now, the second scripture, uh, Matthew 11, uh, Jesus compares the people of his day to children who cannot be satisfied with any game or activity, whether festive or somber. Uh, in the uh, second uh, text, uh, they rejected John the Baptist because of his aesthetic lifestyle. You know, John the Baptist was different. You know, he he uh, had uh, what? Uh, camel's hair as his clothing, and and he ate differently. So uh, they classified John as too weird to be taken uh, serious. And then they turned around and rejected Jesus because he ate and drunk with sinners. Um, so uh, Jesus says, uh, we we play the flute. You won't dance. We mourn with you and you don't cry. This is a word about frustration. It's really hard to figure out what tune to play. You cannot please everybody. People will never be satisfied. So what do you do? You choose a course of action that God ordains and promises to bless, and you go with it. That which fits the scripture boundaries, that if Jesus attended or participated in, he'd stick around and be delighted because it honored him. That's what you go with. Does it fit within the boundaries of Scripture? So ask yourself, should we do this? Is this ministry appropriate? Is this approach or activity or event God-honoring? Uh, you don't have to go into a deep prayer and fasting uh, to figure out the answer. Just ask yourself, if Jesus was here, would he attend my event? If Jesus was here in bodily presence, would would he be honored by what's going on? One of the most dangerous things to do in church, 
I believe, this is a personal opinion, from pastoral experience, is to have a suggestion box or gather opinions or have votes. Which tune do we play? The flute and the folk won't dance or the dirge and they won't mourn. We're never satisfied. So churches can get caught up looking for the newest, the hottest, and the brightest. But I believe the end part of this second passage is for us to just settle down and settle in. Verse 16 says, what do we call this generation? Um, can they can they be contemporary and consecrated? Can they be hip-hop and holy? I say yes. Of course, they're a different breed. It's, it's a different day. We want them to be the generation that seeks his face regardless of their other uh, preferences and labels, here's what's not going to happen at the church. We're not going to have a generation like ours. And when I say ours, I'm speaking to you fellas and you girls who are um, 48, 58, 68, 78. You know, we're not going to have a generation like like ours. Uh, we did not have any options. These kids have options. So I'll go. Hear me good because the Lord uh, spoke this in my spirit. Our goal is not to take away their options because that only creates an angry generation that does not want to be around us or a generation that stops coming to church altogether. So our goal is not to take away their options. Rather, our goal is to make the church irresistible. Hallelujah. Don't take away the options. Just make church life irresistible. When you, let me see if I can read my writing. When, when you have a church with kids and another one without kids, there's a reason. Uh, the one with kids has awakened and smelled the coffee. It's doing something right. If we want a generation of new believers, we have to go after them with something they cannot resist. What is an irresistible church? It's the church where the kids wake up on Sunday getting ready to go there. What's an irresistible church? It's the church where after school they're headed 
to the church for a spoken word, for dance, for praise, for workshops, for recreation. Uh, when's the last time your child woke up on a regular Sunday morning and said willingly, I'm ready to go to church? Come on. I don't want to be late. I invited my friends to come too. We don't keep kids connected and contented with crayons and paper games. This is the 21st century. Have you been in a classroom lately? Where's the digital technology in children's worship? What's that big screen doing on the wall going unused most of the time? What does a kid-friendly church look like? Not a miniature reproduction of the adult church, but a meaningful experience at their level. You don't take away their options, but you make church irresistible. Most of y'all know I've got a little citizens at my house, my little grandchildren, and they have really uh, blessed and confirmed some matters in my life. Every morning I'm listening to YouTube, colorful, lively Christian videos, and they're sitting there singing uh, yes, Jesus loves me. They're, they're sitting there learning the stories of the Bible. And guess what? It keeps their attention. So to make it irresistible, we got to invest in it. At any church. Compare the children and the youth budget to the music budget. That will tell you why so many are in the street and not in the sanctuary. An irresistible church, irresistible, opens her doors, literally opens her doors, makes time and space available when the kids and teens can come. Most of the time, our church buildings are dark and closed. Why not create flexibility in our schedule? A friend of mine has open gym from 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. Guess who that keeps off the streets? Open our arms. Is it necessary that every church has the same ministries? If freedom is good at one thing, the rock is good at another thing, and Broadview good at another thing, why not combine and share our resources of people and places? Do we just have to have our own tag on our own treats? Or can we rally our resources and make a dynamic impact for the kingdom by going bigger? 
Could we not do more and better together? Other skin-colored churches do. Open our doors. Open our arms. One more thing. Open our traditions. Open our traditions. Not overnight. But if we want to fix some of this, we have to start. I've been called an old soul because contemporary music and hip-hop worship is not my cup of tea. In defense, I am old, 72 in a few days. Hallelujah. But music cannot define the entirety of the Christian experience. The word still draws. So I challenge us to step outside of our box. That last text is Acts 2. Families, men, women, children, teens were coming to accept Jesus and join his church by the thousands. It was an irresistibility operating in worship, in fellowship, in teaching, in sharing. And guess what? The town was better because the church was growing. Isn't that something? When the church does what the Lord likes, he grows it. He populates the church and depopulates the streets. That's the end of my little series of talks. I hope there's something there that will equip you and equip your church and equip our church to be effective in fixing some of this stuff. Hallelujah. This is the word of faith which I teach on tonight. Glory. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Amen.